The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is the show socially distanced uh, with one of your two co hosts, Paxton Wright, who's the one talking right now, and then the other co host, Justin Kiever. Hello, Justin. Hi, I'm Justin Kiever, and I am the host that is talking right now. I like the way you phrase that because you kind of like implicitly made it seem like, you know, it's always only with one of us, you know? Like you're always kind of like, it's either socially distanced with Paxton. And then when I speak, it's socially distanced with Justin. And we just kind of like oscillate between the two, you know? Well, I like to bait and switch the audience. I like to keep them on their toes a little bit. Uh, that's, that's, what the, <laughs> that's what this show is all about. Um, you know, nothing dry, nary a dull moment. Uh, always edge of your seat riveting. That's what we strive for here at Socially Distanced. Um, and that's really what public radio is all about too, I have to say. Uh, uh, if you're if you're detecting a a uh, weary timber in my voice right now, um, we won't get too much into it. But it's because I am terrified about the coming days. So you're probably going to hear a lot more of that timber uh, uh, on today's show. <laughs> and if you don't have that timber in your voice, I I wish I could be you right now. I I wish I had way less terror. But here we are. I'll say if you don't detect terror in my voice, it is because I am distracting myself with news that doesn't really matter. <laughs> that's well, that's what that is. That is actually what this show is all about. Um, and that's that's <laughs> mainly what we're here to discuss today. If you uh, if you want more pressing political conversation, go listen to uh, uh, Sebastian Silva and Isaac Sejas, uh La Conversacion right here. I probably butchered that pronunciation right here on KUCI. Uh, I've given them a free <laughs> plug because they're nice guys and they do good work. Uh, but that's not what we're here today. We're here for today. We're here to talk about video games. So uh, uh, what's going on in the world of video games, Justin? All right. So in your hour of distraction on socially distanced, uh, you'll hear about the news that doesn't matter. And the news that doesn't matter this week is that Cyberpunk 2077 got delayed again. Shocker. Who, who could yeah. have seen that coming? <laughs> I mean, it's like weird because it is actually, it's something of a shocker. Again, it's a shocker that doesn't really matter, but it's like close enough to the November 19th release date, which is the... I don't even know like what number release date that is. This thing has been delayed a bunch of times, but it's like close enough where you think like, oh, okay, huh? It seems like they would have to like be full steam ahead at this point. But uh, no, they delayed the game again. So yeah, it's been delayed from November nineteenth to uh, December tenth, and yeah, whatever. Like I, you know, I feel like we were talking about about that a little before we started recording. Uh, I think both of us have kind of like fallen off of the cyberpunk uh, hype train, you know, where we like this news kind of barely registers for us. Uh, and yet it made a lot of people very, very angry. 
So I feel like this is kind of like a repeat of like the the Minecraft uh, episode where it's like <laughs> news that just like does not matter to us at all, but like really seems to matter to a bunch of people that we can't relate to. Um, but nonetheless, so yeah, like the thing that like actually happened after this delay was announced was, yeah, you know, as as tends to happen, uh, the gamers got very mad and um, it got reported uh, earlier, like earlier today that basically, yeah, like people started sending out death threats to developers because the game they wanted got delayed. And, you know, obviously that's just a grotesque way to behave. Uh, like there are a million different angles we could take on this story because, you know, like we could talk about like the the problem of kind of gamer entitlement, which I want to talk about uh, on this episode. But like the thing that I think is like really fascinating about this story is, I mean, it really is just the like, why gamers so mad? Why, why, why they do that? And like... The, the, the way that the, the reception of CD Projekt Red's, like, basically their last big game and this one, I think are very interesting because I find them personally very baffling. So their last big game being the Witcher, Witcher 3, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, like the last big thing they came out with was the Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. They've had a few smaller games in between then. But yeah, so the Witcher 3... Um, is a game that is very well liked, uh, both like critically and kind of like within like the popular like main like gaming audience. Uh, and I say critically, like I don't just mean like the people that are like you know writing reviews on Metacritic. Like that is a game that like you know game critics who are like not all game critics like like some I don't mean to universalize here. Some game critics hate that game, um, but I, like there are you know people who write about games like critically critique them who do also like think the witcher 3 is actually a very well-made thing um and that that taste kind of doesn't always overlap with the tastes of people who you know like play like pc gamers like you know hardcore gamers like that taste doesn't always overlap and here it kind of does and i think that's like that's like the initial kind of like level of strangeness where like the witcher three is a game that i think speaks to multiple audiences in multiple different ways and i think that there's this like element of the witcher three that's like really get of like the popular reception of the witcher gets taken up and the way people are anticipating cyberpunk and that has to do with like it's a it's a kind of power fantasy that i want to try and describe if you'll entertain me yeah um like through like the way people um uh, through the way people are anticipating cyberpunk. So there are a lot of people who are very, very excited for cyberpunk 2077. And I feel like a lot of that has to do with the pedigree of CD Projekt Red after The Witcher 3. But there's something about it that really seems to go beyond that because there's, like as I think I said earlier, there's a culture of anticipation around cyberpunk 2077. And I think like one of the most kind of like one of the things that I saw months ago that embodies that the most is someone rendered a bedroom that had cyberpunk 2077 like stuff in it, like the box that the game comes in, like op opened and like all of like the like the paratext stuff kind of like scattered on a bed. And they like basically said like, yeah, hey, I rendered what it'll be like when cyberpunk 27, 2077, you know, arrives. And from what I remember, the render was quite good technically. I'm going to be honest and say, I think that's incredibly weird. 
Like, I think, I think that is a thing that, you know, as you are doing it, you should pause and wonder why you're doing that. <laughs> um, and there's other, and there's like other kind of like weird things that I said. So like uh, a big kind of like a, a kind of goofy selling point for 2077 has been like the, the fact that you can customize, you know, your main character and you can customize them down to their uh, genitalia. And uh I remember, um, and that's been kind of, you know, that's one, I mean, I don't, I'll say that like there, there are things about CD Projekt's history that make me very suspicious of their uh, capability to, to like represent uh, trans lives in any kind of like, you know, meaningful way. Like I'm very skeptical of that. I, I don't want to pass judgment on that feature they're marketing before the game comes out or the game itself, but like, I don't trust them to handle that well. But anyway, people found out that you could customize that. I remember there was like one person, this was just one person, keep in mind, but it was still, I think, symptomatic of a larger thing where like someone asked like, hey, uh, when basically are they essentially asked, are the sex scenes in this game customizable? Are they interactive in some way? Uh, to which like the, the Twitter account, like the Cyberpunk Twitter account was kind of like, you know, they replied with some like emoticon that was like, Neh. but, um, <laughs> which I'll get to that Twitter account in a minute because it's really bad. But, um, but, but, uh, yeah, like that was kind of, that was a thing that I saw that it, like, that really reminded me of that, uh, that render of like what it'll be like when the game arrives, because like the thing that people seem to be like thinking about this game is that like, it seems to really be a game that people are like projecting a desire to like be a better version of themselves on. Right. Like, like it seems like, you know, like this is this kind of like open world game where, you know, your choice matters and you can customize all of these things. And it's just like, it seems like people are like really treating this like some kind of like, like some kind of like sci-fi VR experience where like th they feel as though it's going to offer them this chance to kind of like be a, like be a more perfect version of themselves in like a fun, violent playground, you know, like, like li really living out some like Westworld type thing here, you know? Mm -hmm. And that, um, and, and, and that's so focused around like this commodity and like that was actually like uh when i was thinking about this and like seeing people get really mad i was actually thinking about our conversation with isa last week um where uh we were talking about you know ikea and like the ability to like project yourself into a space and like that's totally what's happening here is people like you know preparing themselves to they're preparing to project themselves into this game and like, and that is wrapped up in like, you know, it's not just like imagining like the world, like, you know, Night City, the setting of Cyberpunk 2077 and like what they're gonna do in there. It's also imagining themselves having the product, opening the product. Like it is like they're imagining not only a relationship with like the diegetic world of the game, but like with the, the, the product itself, with it, with it as commodity. And what that kind of, and it's just such a like okay on the one hand that's a weird thing because it's like it speaks to a kind of like like i mean like like the the, the joke thing that i said at the end of like that conversation about like you know ikea is you know like ikea is the lack of like the you know it is the 
the lack onto which desire is kind of, you know, aimed and it reproduces itself. Like that is the thing. It was like cyberpunk, like 2077 seems to have become this sort of like the, like the locus of like the locus of focus. I don't know that like the focus of this kind of like, um, yeah, let's do some fun rhymes here that (laughs) totally aren't grammatically correct. I don't think, um, like it's become this, like it's become the focus of a particular, like what really seems to be like a kind of like lack, a kind of like frustration with life that like it's that like people are seem to think it's going to fulfill. And it's just like, you know, you read about people. Okay. So a thing that is like actually not crazy that I read about was like, you know, people taking vacation days to play this thing. I think that actually totally makes sense, especially in our current context where like you have vacation days, what else are you going to do with them? You may Mm -hmm. as well stay home and do a thing for a few hours. I kind of wish I could do that with like, just anything right now um so like that's totally fine but like there's like you you see people like in like the response like in like the twitter thread that was responding to that announcement you see people like going like how dare you i plan i plan my finances around this game i have structured my life around this like i've structured my life around it's like uh it's release and they don't specify how they've done that. So we don't actually know how deeply people have kind of like invested like their sense of self in this thing, but they're like willing to kind of like make that claim. And that's just like, I, I there's being hyped for something and there is like clearly using a commodity as like, you know, like, like, like treating this like commodity as something that is going to make you a better version of you. And that really seems, or like, you know, is going to like allow you this kind of like fantasy to like, you know, enact or fulfill some kind of desire. And that really seems like what's ha- happening. And the thing that's really weird to me is that like the Witcher three seems to like retroactively be a game that people have done that for. And the Witcher three is not that game. No, it's a game where you play in a very concrete avatar. Uh, yeah. It's not, it's, I, I mean, I, I haven't played the Witcher series. Um, I know a lot about it by way of just podcasts I've listened to and just reading on it in general. Um, but I haven't played it myself, but I mean, the character Geralt, is very defined and i know it's a role-playing game where you can sort of choose Geralt's path and how he handles situations but by and large like the character has a pretty distinctive personality from what i've gathered and also the third person aspect too as compared to cyberpunk um also it makes it less of an immersive less of a role-playing experience and more of a sort of um a, 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 a standard fantasy game, but which is not to say that it's a standard fantasy game, because again, what I've gathered is that it is something much more than that. Otherwise it wouldn't have such a vehement fan base. Um, but, but it, it, in terms of, in terms of playability, in terms of play style, um, it doesn't seem like it's the kind of thing where you can live a surrogate life. Um, it, it sounds like people are willing to go to that length, but I can see it much easier in something like cyberpunk, which is first person, which is so customizable. As you said, you can customize it down to the genitalia. Um, and, and yeah, it is so much more about the role you play. It's based off a, a table top role-playing game if i'm not mistaken right um yeah yeah yes yes it is yeah um, so so it, it would it i i don't think it's um necessarily healthy and it's a little odd to me that that is how uh, such a large swath of people are sort of treating this product and looking to treat this product 
but it's far more understandable than something like Witcher, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think like, I guess I just kind of like wonder how much, but okay, because like The Witcher 3 was very much, uh, maybe my memory's wrong here, but I remember it being kind of marketed as like, you know, like a big, like your choices matter type RPG. And they kind of do. Um, but like the thing that's really remarkable about, like if people are really excited for Cyberpunk, including like people who have like, you know, said like, who have said like on forums, like I am so hyped for Cyberpunk. Also, I haven't been watching the trailers. I've been avoiding like all information. And yet like here I am making this post about just how absolutely jazzed I am. Like if you're going on like the pedigree of The Witcher 3, like the thing about The Witcher 3 is that like that is an open world fantasy game that like uses its open world with like a thematic intent that you don't see very much in fantasy. And like, that's the thing about it that like works for me. And and like, so something like Skyrim, like, you know, people like Skyrim has lore, like it has, you know, a narrative, but like people go to like, it's paper thin and people go to Skyrim because, you know, you get to basically vacation in this like nice fantasy land and, you know, fight monsters and go to cool places and blah, blah, blah. Um, but like the Witcher, like, I think something that's very telling about the way people like receive the Witcher three and I'll say Paxton, like you're, you're on the, despite not having played the series, you're on the money in terms of like, you know, the, your relationship to the character to Geralt, like, yeah, Geralt is a person, you know, like he, you kind of dictate what he says sometimes, but he is a person with morals with, you know, like with a very kind of like defined sort of personality. Um, like the, the thing, something that, something that I think is very, very telling about The Witcher 3 and the way people talk about it is that a lot of people, like when they kind of like share the like, you know, do like their like lowest common denominator forum post of like, oh, The Witcher 3 is so pretty, you know, here's a picture from, uh, you know, like here's a picture of how pretty it is. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. What a great game. It's so much better than other stuff now. The, what people like, what people post are, they post two areas. They post Kaer Morin, and they post this, uh, the, the Skellige Isles. So uh, most of the game does not take place in either of those locations. Care more and you're at for like three hours of this like 75 hour game. Skellige, maybe 20. You're mostly, you spend the majority of this game in kind of like a dirty, like a very you know, nice looking, neat looking, but like, you know, kind of a very like class stratified uh, urban environment. And most of the early game takes place in a big old swamp that like is littered with dead people because like what that game is about is like that, that game is about how war affects an environment, how war like affects a society. Like it's a war game that never actually depicts the big battles. And it's all about kind of like, you know, navigating the, the aftermath of this like big, like of, of this like, you know, big, big battle. And no one actually like very rarely do people post Velen, which is the like the biggest area in the game where pretty much all of it takes place. So there's this like very like when like people treat it as you know like this like gorgeous getaway place, like really what they're doing is like they're excising so much of what that game actually is. And that's something that I just don't get and I and I'm like I don't want to just say that like all oh, these people don't get the game but like they they're there's like some like editing in like the way they present it like the way that they like chop up what that game is and like present it to like social media like I, I like speaks to like it speaks to a focus I guess and um 
and that and, and like and playing the witcher 3 like and you know not knowing like like knowing what i know about cyberpunk where it does seem like more like a game like as you said like it is more like a tabletop role-playing game where you kind of like get to immerse yourself and your like the performance of your character a little bit more it still feels like like a lot of like the advertising for cyberpunk 2077 makes it look a lot like a gta game like that's sort of my interest in it is it looks like cyberpunk gta yeah i i've you hit the nail on the head with that comparison i i've there was something something so familiar about it that i hadn't been able to place but i think the the most i have cared about cyberpunk this entire time was the first reveal trailer at E3 like two or three years ago, whatever it yeah. was. That was the first and only time I was like, whoa, I got to play this. And then the more and more they marketed it, the more and more they kept releasing footage. There was nothing inherently bad or disenchanting about it. It still looks looked and continues to look like a very solid game, but something about it just makes me care less and less that I can't quite identify. Um, but but yes, that, that first trailer was so heavy on like imagery of of slick cars and you know very los santos-esque sunsets and and high rises and and crime from both the 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 micro petty level to major organized level and everything in between there were so many of those elements in that but it all kind of looked like blade runner a little bit um and and i yeah i guess i hadn't really I hadn't really made that comparison, but I guess now that I think about it, it's possible one of the reasons I, and I think a lot of other people too, because you are seeing the sentiment grow online as well um, alongside the, the, the rage cluster looking for an avatar, you are seeing more and more people become deflated on caring about the project. Um, yeah. And I think part of that, at least for me, is that I really thought it was going to be something completely different with the initial teaser. Um, yeah, and seeing more and more that it's it's an it's a role playing FPS, um, I, 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 that should be cool to me, but it's not. I just don't care as much. Yeah, like I like I'm gonna play it because I just built a computer and I'm gonna like want like a nice thing to look at and go like yeah I built this computer and here is this thing running at like okay settings uh it's like just for the novelty of that like like really like as a yeah as a game like it does not it doesn't seem that interesting to be honest and like none of like the like none of like the good like tonal stuff that like really like was convincing about the witcher 3 like you know like when they were like releasing trailers like like cyberpunk like it just seems like a grand theft auto game yeah and like you know i'm kind of like i'm mildly curious to see what their take on a gta game is but i wonder like what's the response going to be when this thing comes out and people realize that it's basically just yeah like a role-playing fps with cars like it's which is basically like once Grand Theft Auto V introduced its first-person mode, that is essentially what that game became, was a role-playing yeah. FPS with cars. Yeah. I mean, like, that game had stats, you know? Like, it had a stat it had a stat system that was pretty close to, like, Elder Scrolls IVs or whatever, you know? Um, and, yeah, um, there's just something... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm... I continue to be really dismayed by... Because, like, the thing that I want to... I think that I want to close on. I've been talking a lot this section. Uh, Sorry for that listeners. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think that I want to close on is that like, I don't. 
sending death threats is grotesque. I, I sympathize with people who are really anticipating this game and who seem to be anticipating it because they feel some kind of lack because the whole, you know, the show is called socially distanced that, you know, we're like our show is titled, you know, based on something like a, a kind of being that has emerged in response to a lot of, you know, a lot of terrible things in the world. And like, it's very, and like, it's very easy, you know, it's easier than ever to like feel a kind of like existential lack in life and wanting to fill that with something and getting excited about something that feels like it can fill that lack is totally understandable. And like, it's very easy to get kept, like to get swept up in that. Like, um, like my excitement for like that, the, the Tony Hawk remake that came out, like I had not been excited about a media thing that much in like a, lo a long while. And I spent like a lot of hours just playing that demo because it felt good and it made me excited about the thing that was gonna come out. I, I get it. You need like, we like collectively, I'm just saying this, like not to anyone, just like you need to look for meaning elsewhere. <laughs> yeah like, and it's it's understandably kind of to sort of reiterate your point it's understandably harder to do these days but mm -hmm. you you gotta seek it out um this is uh yeah pure escapism 110 mm -hmm. percent from reality yeah. is not a healthy thing for human functioning yes um it's we need to mitigate the the cold harsh realities of the world we live in and we do need to to escape from it on occasion that's why we have movies and tv and video games that's the point but to outright detach yourself from reality is not only counterproductive to progress it's also counterproductive to your own health and well-being um yeah. so i think that's that's a good message to end on uh, uh one last thing before we take a break here uh as we talk about this sort of uh, horrifying state of the world these days. I, this will be this will be the last time I mention it because I, it's the last show before the big day. Ah! But <laughs> remember, get out and vote, please, please. I'm I'm imploring you. I am imploring you. This is uh, and and do it in person. Don't mail it. The deadline has passed to mail. Uh, uh, vote early in person. Drop your ballot off at a ballot box go on election day, uh, drop your ballot off at your polling place, do whatever you can, but do not vote by mail anymore. That that deadline's gone. Uh, th we're in a terrifying time. Um, and there is, you don't have to love or even like Joe Biden to, to acknowledge that there is so much at stake next week. Um, and we're in for a rocky turbulent time and we're probably not gonna know what happened on election night probably not going to know for a while there's going to be a lot of legal battles it's going to be if you've been exhausted already you're about to get more exhausted um but you need to you you need to fight um the, again this is the last time i say it but uh, uh th this is too crucial an election um if you care about issues like racial justice, if you care about issues like uh, climate change, like uh, like uh, women's health, uh, a, a multitude of issues, um, you you owe it to yourself and everybody around you to vote. I, I'm not saying that Joe Biden is uh, you know a, a fix-all or an antibody to our major systemic problems. In many ways, he'll probably disappoint. I, I won't lie, but uh, he does represent some gauze and some painkillers. And if you were 
gushing blood profusely and no one offered you antibodies but they did have gauze and painkillers you would take those gauze and painkillers um so uh, please i implore you vote vote in person earlier on election day or drop your ballot off at a ballot box i this is probably the most impassioned i've ever been about anything i've talked about on this show but uh i love it, despite its countless litany of disgusting problems i i do love this country and i love democracy and i love being able to participate in it and I, and I also think there are major problems that need to be addressed and solved as soon as possible. But many of those problems will literally become unsolvable if we have four more years of what we have now. This is, we're in a crisis and to, to sit idly by during a crisis is about one of the worst things you can do as a citizen. And I don't like to chastise. I don't like to scold or finger wag. I understand why a lot of people are disgruntled with the system and don't want a, you know, a quote unquote return to normalcy. Neither Justin or I do either. Like, I, I think that's a pretty safe assertion, but you can never have progress if, if you continue to allow regression. I don't think I'm hyperbolic in saying that this is our last chance to fix things. I, maybe, maybe it's not, but I don't want to roll those dice. Um, please, please. I, am, I, I just cannot implore all eight listeners of this show enough to please go out and vote and tell everyone you know, especially if you live in a swing state. That's it for me. I have nothing to add, really. Um, I have a feeling we might end up talking about this in the second section, too. So It's, um, pro- it's, very, it's very probable. Yeah. Anyway, we'll be back with some silly Halloween <laughs> hijinks in just a minute, so stay tuned, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. I'm Justin Kiever, and with me is my other host, uh, Paxton Wright. Say hi, Paxton. Hi. Done. Nice to meet you, Dunn. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, zinger. I would make such a good dad. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, so for, for the uh, the back half of the show, this is a very, very special uh, sec- segment of Feast in the Weast because it's Halloween and we're trying to focus on fun, scary things to distract us from the actual scary thing that we finished our last segment with. So, yep. um, so yeah, we're just going to talk kind of like some of our favorite horror movies. Um, you know, like we are, uh, Pax, uh, yeah, Pax and I are both fans of horror uh and so we have favorite horror movies that we're going to talk about and that is how we came to the segment feast in the weast we're doing a special halloween feast in the weast in which okay (laughs) it's exciting cue the cue the scary organ and bats (laughs) there we go 
Great. <laughs> I got to stop making editing nightmares for myself. I'm, I'm just glad that you keep doing that on the nights where you edit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, uh, Paxton, what's uh, what horror is on your mind right now? Uh, well, as you said, the most of the horror on my mind is very real horror, but uh, the, the horror I'm trying to focus on for the sake of the next half hour um, is one of my personal favorite horror movies. I first want to say, like, it's weird to be doing a Halloween segment on horror movies, considering every other episode of this show tends to be about horror, but <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter. It's it's special today. Just, just shut up and accept it. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, the... the uh, my favorite horror film of all time is Scream, which I have already talked about on this show before in the past. Um, so I'll go with Runner Up, and that is 1974's uh, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, by Toby Hooper. Obviously, very famous film, very notorious film, depending on who you ask. Um, but really a personal favorite in terms of what it did for the genre in terms of slashers and and exploitation um it is a slasher movie it's not necessarily the most typical but it is a slasher movie um and pre-halloween post psycho really sort of beginning to usher in a new era and a new breed of horror um it's also got some of my favorite just pure aesthetics in film ever um that is a film that despite uh, having a lot of grotesque imagery and taking place in sort of not exactly pretty sort of backwoods territory um, is still a beautifully shot and beautifully lit film and beautifully composed. Um, so, so much of the, the, the attention to detail in terms of color in that film is uh, I think really immacu immaculate and underappreciated. Um, yeah, it is. It is a film I could I could rave on and on about. But before I do, because I will, um, that's the point of the show. Justin, you've seen Texas Chainsaw, I assume, or have you not? No, I have seen um, I have seen the 2006 I think remake of a of Texas Chainsaw. Um, the one that was called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not the sequel that came out later in the aughts or early tens that was just called Texas Chainsaw. Um, because you know, like titles are confusing, but uh, yeah, no, I saw the remake and I never actually saw the original. I have seen some things about the original that will inform the questions I ask you, but yeah, no, like I, um, that, that is one of like the many kind of like gaps in my film viewing that is like unacceptable. Yeah, I would say you are doing yourself as a horror fan a disservice um, in not seeing that film. I would put, I would really put it at the top of your list um, it, because A, because it is just such an essential film and B, because it is just so good. Um, I will say to your point first about the, excuse me, about the, I believe it was 03 remake oh uh, three okay i think it was i i could be mistaken i'm not gonna fact check that one um but it, it doesn't really matter but it's it's i think it's better than a lot of people give it credit for it's not good in a traditional sense um but of the slew of of slasher remakes and reboots that came out in that era they did texas chainsaw they did uh you know rob zombies halloween friday the 13th nightmare on elm street 
I would probably rank that one as the most entertaining um mainly because you have uh um you have really strong performances from a lot of the sort of rogues gallery cast in particular uh arlie ermy from full metal jacket who plays a deranged uh uh police sergeant or police sheriff which is uh not a character in the original film and is a really great addition uh it's 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 serviceable it's decently scary um, I I don't I don't mind that movie, but of course it doesn't hold a candle to uh, Toby Hooper's original. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I think one of the things that really stands out most to me about the original film, I, I don't think I'm somebody that values aesthetics over substance in all cases, um, and I do think there is a lot of substance to Texas the original Texas Chainsaw that makes it so good, but aesthetics are so key to it. Um, for instance, there is the, the really classic shot of the interior of the, uh, the, is it the Sawyers or the Bakers. I always get a mixed, I always get the Resident Evil 7 family and the Texas Chainsaw <laughs> family mixed up. I, I wonder why that could be. I, shocker. Um, <laughs> I want to say it's, I want to say it's the Sawyers. So I'm going to go with the Sawyers for this. Uh, that first shot of the Sawyer household when they enter it. And it is a dingy, decrepit home that is dilapidated and just falling apart. And there's a stairway that looks like it leads to nothing that is that is sort of coming down around your ears. And then at the very end of the hallway is an open door with uh, like a bright red wall on the other side of it and like hanging uh, livestock bones and skulls and like and weaponry and tools all just hanging on the door. And that shot alone is so so wonderful because it really does look like you are entering into hell a little bit like you are going through the it's a tunnel of darkness towards this bright fiery evil imagery and that's where you get your first uh, appearance by the film's sort of core antagonist which is leatherface um and his first appearance is so great because it if you're familiar with the movie you it's an incredibly memorable sequence you have girl enters the home walks up to the back entrance looks around and then with no music no no uh no shocking cuts just a straightforward shot no fanfare leatherface walks in she runs away she's running out the door and there's a great shot of her bursting out the front door of the home and then leatherface coming in right behind her grabbing her by the hips as she struggles and pulls her back into the house brings her back to the hell room and slams the metal door and it's just, it is just such a, and it is it all happens in 20 seconds with no music no fanfare nothing and you're just and and that is about 40 minutes into the movie too the first kill doesn't come till well into the movie and so you are tense but you're off your guard because you still expect by that point when the big bad shows up and the bad things start going down it is going to be a a ceremonious moment but it is just the opposite and that films so not just that film's aesthetics but also that film's bluntness and candor um in how it approaches death given the fact that the sawyer family also treats humans as livestock it's a it's about a family of cannibals that uh in the in the backwoods of texas that uh uh, uh slaughter passers-by and and um and different you know uh, uh people driving through and they proceed to do that in the film yeah the fact that it is 
it's human suffering and it's it's people bringing about that human suffering but treating it in a way it's like oh it's just like killing a cow um it's just putting food on the table and and there's a great scene too later on which is like the notorious dinner scene wherein uh the main heroine is strapped to a a chair made from human bone uh, at a table that is also like all the furniture in the room is made from human flesh and bone, very Ed Gein inspired. Um, and the family like has a discussion over dinner as they're like feeding her, her friends. Um, and they're like having a discussion about like, well, you know, I, do, I don't love killing. It doesn't feel good, but uh, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. And I, and I, but I can't take no pleasure in it. Uh, yeah. The lines, I can't take no pleasure in killing. Um, and it's, it's so warped and so cruel and sadistic. Um, but it's also so, it is a weird movie because the killer's motivations or lack thereof is, is somewhat, I wouldn't say it's explainable, but it's like weirdly, um, you can weirdly empathize with it not not support it but like understand their mindset of like oh we just come from a lineage of people eating people and that's that's what you got to do doesn't mean you have to be you have to be sadistic about it you can but at the end of the day yeah you gotta gotta put food on the table um and there is a big commentary throughout the film too about the the meat and cattle industries there's a huge scene at the beginning of the movie where the characters are driving through and talking about uh sort of the brutality of slaughterhouses um and 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 it does in a sense it's a film that definitely all you want if you're going to eat afterwards all you want is a salad i'll say that much (laughs) yeah that's um that's very interesting because like the main thing i know about the original texas chainsaw massacre is really like the what i believe to be the opening which is kind of like it's like opens like newsreel footage right or like something kind of like that like basically like a very kind of like intentionally self-reflexive like like documentary like documentary realism kind of opening right yeah yeah that's it it opens on a like a, a title crawl and a narration um explaining the the you know because the film marketed itself as it was one of the first films to market itself as like this is a true story this really happened it, it didn't of course but that was their marketing and so the opening title crawl is like this this uh uh, uh categorizes the the events that took place in 1973 by the vicious sawyer family what you are about to see is real and then it's uh and then it's like shots of a crime scene uh that is just sort of the remnants of a horrible okay. brutal murder Cause yeah, like that's interesting. And it's interesting, like the, okay. So I, I was like looking at some information as you were talking and um, what you're saying near the end about commentary on the cattle industry and also like the sort of like being able to sympathize or empathize with like the, you know, well, the, you know, it's what we've always done. Uh, so we just kind of keep doing it. And, you know, like, like the idea of being set in one's ways sort of connected with this, um, a quote from uh, like the pull quote on Google from the, review in empire um and i'll just read this because i find this really compelling uh quote a parting thought in texas you are legally allowed to shoot dead someone who steps on your lawn the kids are trespassing so this murder spree probably isn't even against the law interesting and that's i've never even considered that but yeah 
So, yeah, like I find that very interesting because it's I mean, I don't know if this is still the law, but I mean, like, you know, stand your ground states are a thing. And so there seems to be like, you know, what you're discussing in terms of like, you know, the the cattle industry and what's sort of, you know, being laid out here in this quote about sort of like, you know, America's kind of mentality around violence and like, like something about like, and like, I think like the, if there's, I don't want to say like, this is like unique to like the, the rural setting in which this, uh, in which the film like takes place. Uh, but I think like there is a kind of, uh, there's a genre of this kind of thing. Like also the setup, sorry, I'm uh, circling around a few points here, but one, like there's something to be said for, as this quote pulls out, like a taste for violence in America. We, we all kind of know this, that, you know, um, that is both very cruel, but gets kind of covered over as somehow is not being cruel. Like there's this contradiction in like, you know, how violent America is and how interested in violence and how willing to partake of violence against people, against animals, uh, you know, we are in the United States and just, yeah, like how, you know, yeah, like how normal it is, like how we don't think about factory farming, how we don't, you know, think about war, how we don't think about like the, you know, the cruelty of killing someone to defend, uh, you know, property and capital. Um, I, I rewatched Heat this week, and uh, that movie <laughs> is totally about that. Um, just yeah, like this seems like a film that, like you know, through you know, through yeah, like kind of like through staging this is like a real random event. Like it kind of almost doesn't work unless you like stage this as a thing that like you know could actually occur uh, in you know in the United States. And that's the other. So the other thing I'm thinking about and why I'm talking about like rural areas is Blair Witch Project. Mm -hmm. which you know like the thesis of that movie is when like the the one character starts yelling this can't happen in america this can't happen in america yep but it can and it is happening in america and there's something very particular about america and that's why it's happening here mm -hmm. and i think that's like like it sounds like a very similar kind of thing and you know as i am saying all this like you know i know i'm kind of like you know there's some guesswork here because i haven't seen the original film Nonetheless, it seems there, and I'm now really kicking myself for not having watched this movie. No, I would say, I would say, well, that that's warranted. But um, <laughs> no, I would say that is that's completely on point, and the uh, the comparison to Blair Witch uh, is is absolutely there. In again, it's it's candor in discussing uh, death and and innocent people who have done nothing wrong uh being subject to just torture and and unbelievable cruelty and it all happening in the backwoods of america um and even the marketing campaign of this is a true story this all happened like that's it, it's it's um they very much uh, echo each other um i will say to that point because i do want to get to the movie you want to talk about as well um yeah, uh, it, it, it has all of that going for it. And I think what is so interesting is that it is a film that can very, very easily be read multiple ways. It can be read as, uh, as a gratuitous, uh, frightening horror film that uh, also has almost no blood or gore in it, despite um, having a reputation as being incredibly gory. Uh, it's, it's all implication, baby. Um, <laughs> it, it, can be, it can be read as that. It can also be read as, you know, an incredibly dark comedy, which there are certainly elements of that in there as well. There's 
points of that movie that are really really funny um like i would argue and, laugh and the out sequel loud. is a comedy the sequel is a straight-up comedy with like horror elements and the sequel is also a lot of fun that's a discussion for another day i rewatched that <laughs> one recently too um but the sequel is great and it is definitely a way more straightforward comedy and uh uh it can yeah it can also be read as a high art film with a lot to say despite looking like a your standard splatter house exploitation film um so it's 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 an interesting it's a it's a really interesting movie and i won't say it's the kind of movie where every time i go back i discover something new it's pretty straightforward and you don't have to do too much deep reading to sort of figure out what it's about but it's just so entertaining every time um and one last note on it is that uh, the, the best death in that movie, one of the best deaths in any horror movie is the hammer scene, uh, which I, I won't get into details because it is something that if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, it should incentivize you to go if you like really fast, brutal deaths. But it, it I think, is one of the most terrifying, terrifyingly blunt literally and figuratively <laughs> deaths i have i have ever seen <laughs> in a film um it it is so straightforward and so stark and cruel and it's it is wild to watch um and it's and it still holds up 50 some years later or 40 some it's it's great great movie great movie can't recommend it enough unless you scare easily <laughs> it is quite scary even still um we don't have a ton of time left, but I would like to talk about the thing, which is just in your favorite horror film. Uh, we can we can get into that. Yeah. Um, yes, it is. Yes. Let, let's let's talk about it. Why do you yeah, like yeah, the I thing mean, so much, Justin? Because uh, it's good. There you go. Done. Yep. Um, yeah. No. I mean, I. Uh, yeah, I, I adore the thing. It, it's just a. I, I should clarify John Carpenter's The Thing, the 1982 remake of the thing from another world uh from which i think was a movie that came out definitely in the 50s i think 51 but um yeah i adore the thing it's grotesque uh i really struggle with body horror so like it's still scary for me i think that is a, i mean it's a film that is one both really funny and i wish i wish that you know i could swear on the radio so i could just quote my favorite <laughs> line to you right is now it, because is it, it is the yeah blank you too yes yep <laughs> yes like that is it's so good like that is the, the just like one of like the funniest lines like just and so relatable like that like that you know because i can tell you right now if i was in that situation i would say that i would yell the exact same thing as i threw that stick of dynamite um but it's just like it, it's 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 just it's great because like it's very entertaining you know it's like it's got like all like that like famously excellent practical effect gore you know like it's like still like i still find it hard to watch i think it is absolutely grotesque um and like you know gloriously so but like the really like why i come back to like why i still think about that movie i okay you know what? i have only seen that movie once i watched it on my laptop like streaming it from like a terrible streaming site like poor quality 
like so i like you know my experience of that movie and that's the thing about like a lot of my favorite movies is i actually only watch them once um and then just kind of like go on the memory and so like the the thing about like my memory of that film really like it hinges so much on like impressions of the atmosphere and the ending really because like the you know you think about the thing it's like yeah like you know horrible grotesque you know monster that transforms into people and then also becomes like you know and then hey look this this person that it transformed into now his stomach has jaws and they're eating a guy and that's great but like what that movie ends up like where it lands is just this like profound paranoia and like you know absolute uncertainty in you know uh, like there's that there's a, a line that got like lightly memed uh from it uh that i can quote to you uh and it's like something that kurt russell like says into you know like he's like recording like an basically an audio log or whatever and he says you know like no one trusts anyone and we're all very tired because they can't go to sleep because you know like if they go to sleep then the monster might get them because you know like they've let their guard down they have no idea who it is and that um and just, yeah, like it, like it lands at this point where you are not sure, you are generally not sure if Kurt Russell is like actually the thing, if uh, if the other survivor who's, who's there with him, who I think he is. Keith uh, David. So yeah, like, you know, like they're together and like you, yeah, you know, like you don't know if like they've beaten, the, you know, you don't know if they've beaten the thing. And basically it's just like what it is able to do with this kind of ridiculous setup in terms of, expressing a kind of like a social reality of absolute paranoia and absolute isolation. Mm -hmm. Like that is like the, like the reason that I like keep coming back to that movie is because it is like, like, I don't think it is like a straightforward metaphor, but I think in terms of like capturing a mood, especially that comes out like, you know, early in the eighties, like basically like when, you know, like America is going through the neoliberal turn and like after like the Thatcher administration, like it captures a kind of like a sense of paranoia and isolation that I think has stayed relevant. And like now in, you know, like in COVID times is like even more relevant. It's like cartoonishly relevant now. It's like, it's, it's on the nose at this point. Yeah. And and like that kind of, and like when I, and like, so like when I go out, to you know buy groceries when i go out to do anything like i like yeah like there is you know like even you know when i you know like hang out socially distancing with my friends like even when i know people are like you know being smart and i trust them like i still there's a like that thought in the back of my mind like i can't you know i can't trust anyone Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. i can barely i can barely even trust myself really and that's like part of like what makes that like finale so effective is you know like there is like you know a main character that you identify with that you follow that you believe you trust and like there is like that that like final moment of ambiguity really like you know like you 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 don't know that you know like you like you, you have no way of knowing like you are actually like you are totally severed from your like avatar in the in the film's narrative and it's just like it's just this it's real profound like almost just like ontological uncertainty that really really stuck with me and yeah and like that and that is why that film works so well for me and and yeah and i keep coming back to it and like i should actually rewatch it but like just as like a kind of like a lingering mood piece a lingering kind of like piece in the puzzle 
how like how I articulate how I feel about the world like it's just there and it's so important Mm -hmm. yeah I I would say if you want a if you're looking for a stark but embellished reminder of the times we live in right now a way to sort of consider our current place in the world and in society but also kind of have some fun with it watch the thing it's a, it's a it's a great movie and yeah as you said great body horror I, I i second all those points i will say just real briefly we really have to get going but uh one of the most uh surreal and and bizarrely enjoyable and uh mom- nights of my life was a little over a year ago when i got together with some friends and we somehow had the bonkers but magical idea to double feature john carpenter's the thing and tom green's freddie got fingered um and i i don't know how we got there but honestly they're both kind of body horror movies in a weird way if you want to look at it that way so Mm -hmm. there you know that deer scene that horse scene that elephant scene there's a lot of animal scenes in that movie anyway it's not far off um i i could talk about freddy got fingered another day i i have a weird masochistic soft spot in my heart for that movie but another conversation for another day anyhow uh, this is going to be our last show before the election. We are not on next week because I will be uh, I will be just rolling in bed in a Xanax fueled despair, most likely. <laughs> um, so so no show next week, um, but probably the week after. Remember, just one last time, I, I'm not going to go into the whole song and dance again because I sort of spoke on it enough in the last segment. But please, please vote, uh, especially if you're in a swing state, vote in person. I, you don't you don't have to love or even like Joe Biden, as I said, but you have to try and uphold this very fragile democracy and what we have left of it. It's it's your civic duty, and I I cannot encourage you enough to to go out and vote and and do it in person. No more by mail. Do your research on that yourself. Anyway, we got to go. Uh, thanks so much for tuning into socially distanced. Uh, remember to vote and happy Halloween. I guess goodbye everybody. Yeah, yeah goodbye everyone.